People come out of my class now and I don't think they think they're going to be able to do it. They come out of my class going, yeah. this yeah. isn't going to work where I work. It's not going to. And they, But they know that now and they yeah. didn't know that five years ago. So that's a positive that's, side. That's actually pretty cool. That's a move in the industry. Yeah. You can do it. But the problem is, is that a scrum master can't do it. Yeah. There's no amount of doubling right. down on the practices that is going to do it. So you go back and you look at Agile, right? And you and everybody sticks on what is the values on the front page, mm -hmm. but click through to the principles about good architecture and software craftsmanship and all that different stuff. You take the, the first page of the manifesto without the stuff that's behind it, and you don't mm -hmm. understand how systems work, and you don't understand how decomposition of complex systems work, and you don't understand systems architecture, and you don't understand systems engineering, and you just think you're going to show up with a bunch of practices, you are going to fail. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Today, we're talking all about artificial intelligence and how well, Skynet is going to take over the universe. Well, well kind and of. The, but the real Mike Kottmeyer is here. It's not like a deep fake or an artificially generated Mike Kottmeyer. We have an actual human being here. So, yeah. So if you were going to actually try to AI a, a, an avatar, this probably isn't what it would look like at this point. So, um, okay. So this is, this is my hypothesis for our, our talk today, Dave. Um, so, so the way that we've been kind of doing content, I'm, I'm trying to be more disciplined about doing content in our world. And, and so like usually on a Sunday afternoon, I sit down and I come up with some ideas and I write a content brief and I sit down with the marketing team and we figure out like, what are the key themes? And do we want to do a blog post? Do we want to do a video? What's the format we want to do the video? Is that what we're going to do a podcast on that kind of a thing? And so I had this, um, right. I had this, I had it like a, a block weekend or so ago. And so I just started writing ideas, writing ideas, writing ideas. And I kind of went like, I've kind of like reconnected with Twitter. Like when Elon Musk put the blue check marks, I went and got a blue check mark. And so like, I've kind of had like a wow. little reconnect with Twitter. I haven't been using it. I'm going to buy you a pet rock. Yeah, I know. So uh, <laughs> I figured, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I, I think Elon's kind of cool. Um, that's probably going to make me a pariah in some circles, but whatever. So, um, so I gave him 108 bucks or something and, and got a blue check mark on my name. And so, and so, so I've been reengaged with Twitter. Twitter has been on my mind a little bit. And so I, I read all these like idea snippets and then uh, I was just like, oh, okay. I'm going to like, there's like 23 tweets. And so I posted them on our internal Slack channel and I, and I just asked for feedback. I was like, what does anybody think? Like kind of what's controversial? Like, you know, is there anything that you guys think are wrong? Right? Cause I got a pretty smart team and, and, you know, so I value their opinion. And so anyway, one of the guys on my team did something really cool. He fed it in the chat GPT with a bunch of prompts and he said, okay, which of these 23 tweets give me like the top 10 most controversial ones yeah. and then, uh, and why they're controversial. And then he, he fed that back into ChatGPT and he said, and he said, um, why are they controversial? And so what I thought, and we're totally winging this, right? So what I thought we would do is we would, we would talk about the tweet yeah. and talk about what ChatGPT's response was and then see if ChatGPT's response had any merit. And, you know, maybe we could debunk okay. the AI and see, because, you know, the AI is only as good as the, uh, you know, what's on the internet, right? Because it's a large language model, right? So it's only as good as what's out there. And so if the if the the response is based upon the general consensus, what if the general sure. consensus is wrong, right? So that's kind of what I was going. So you want to like wing this with me a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's do it. What was, uh, uh, what was the most controversial tweet that I that I put out there? 
I feel like I should have those cards sold. Um, all right. So according to the computer of the tweets that you submitted, the one that is uh, most compelling or controversial is tweet number one, which was, I have to scroll back up. The problem we are having in the Agile community is that practices don't scale. Principles scale. Patterns scale. Our insistence on practices absent of deep understanding of organizational design principles is killing us. Okay. Pretty controversial, I guess. Practices don't scale. Principles and patterns scale. So so why did ChatGPT, what was ChatGPT's counter response to that? Oh. Yeah, now we have to scroll back down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to keep zooming up and back maybe, down. Maybe so. next time we do this, we'll prepare a little bit better, Dave. So. <laughs> All right, let's see. Um, it has a response. Agile practices can indeed scale when thoughtfully adopted to an organization's unique context. A deep understanding of org principles is vital, but doesn't negate the value of flexible, evolving practices. Okay. So I'm trying to think of like all the stuff that Dean has said when I've interviewed him and I'm trying to like channel that in my head. Um, Cause that would, I mean, what you're saying kind of flies directly in the face of safe, right? Well, well a little bit, not, right? Not but to pick on safe, but it just but as, even, a, as but an But even safe has principles underneath it, right? So, so if you get right. to, so like what's, what's got me on this kick of principles over practices so I'll give you some context. And this is, and I'm out a little beyond my skis on this one because I'm not like a hardcore tech guy, but, but like I walk into a lot of rooms and like, so I was, I was with this one company a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about having full stack developer teams. And he goes, an agilist, yeah, of course, right? You want to have full stack developer teams. We want to encapsulate the value stream with everyone and everybody necessary to deliver the product. And, okay. and that sounds like a good idea. And you would like to have shared code ownership. And yeah, mm -hmm. that sounds like a good idea. And you'd like to do tests first. Yeah, that's a good idea, right? But they're practices, right? And so you ask yourself, like, well, what's up underneath that practices? What's up underneath that practice? Like, what are the preconditions? Like, what principles are those things based on? So, so I was thinking, like, if you're going to do shared code ownership, well, you have to have sufficient safety in the code base, right? And so, again, like I'm, yeah. I'm on thin ice here a little bit. But, you know, you might want to have it sufficiently test harnessed. You might want to have continuous integration, continuous build. Mm -hmm. You might want to have, like, um, you know, like a, like a red-green refactor dashboard or something like that. Mm -hmm. because, because the whole idea behind Agile, right, the principle behind Agile is if there's a tremendous amount of code safety – um, and you can break things fearlessly and you know if you've broken the build because you're committing all the time, then you can move super fast, right? You can do things in small batches where there's something that Matt Van Bleef okay. said that we put out a while ago is something like, you know, something to effectively like take everything that's expensive and do it all the time, right? Because you'll drive the cost out of it. And so okay. if deployment is expensive, you do it all the time. So, so what I think people were doing in this particular case, or at least this is where my head was, is they're saying, okay, there's this agile practice, and but I don't understand like why it works. I don't understand what the fundamental preconditions are. I don't understand the principles of it. Um, if I extract it in your world a little bit, um, okay. you know, we have people that are running around doing the practices of Scrum. 
And, sure. and, and so if you look at, you know, <laughs> I feel like we have people be, running around waving their hands at the practices. Of well, well, so, well, for sure. Right. But, but they're doing it because, you know, they go, they go to your training classes yeah. and they come back and, you know, the principal, I always call it teens, backlogs, working test software, yeah. but the principles up underneath scrum is we have a complete cross-functional team with everyone, everything necessary to deliver a working test and increment of product. Yeah. We operate off of a well-formed backlog. We produce a validatable increment of code that's potentially shippable at the end of every sprint. And, and, then, um, and then you can do incremental and iterative development that way. Okay. But if I don't have the right kinds of teams, the teams aren't formed around the right things in the company, um, I don't have a backlog that's formed the right way. Sure. Well, I have somebody named a product owner. I have somebody named a scrum master. I have this thing called a team. But I don't get stable velocity. I don't have the ability to increment and iterate the software. I don't have the ability yeah. to continuously deploy and get feedback. So I'm doing the stuff, but I don't have um, the underlying principles in place. Okay. Now, now this gets kind of interesting. Like I, one of the things that's dangerous, at least in the software world, is we have a lot of people that are running around advocating for Scrum, but they don't understand the XP practices up underneath it, the software craftsmanship that's required. Yeah, to do they've Scrum never even well. heard of XP. They've never even heard of it, right? And so, so that's almost like it's kind of like a funny kind of recursive problem. It's like you have you have XP that has a bunch of first principles, and so you could do XP without an understanding what we're really trying to accomplish. You can do Scrum without an understanding of what we're really trying to accomplish. And now you blend the two together, and you have Scrum without XP or Scrum with XP that's poorly applied right so there's this there's this thing right <clears throat> and so so now you scale up to safe and you say and you say um okay here's all the practices of safe right we're going to have release train engineers and we're going to do pis and we're going to do big room planning and we're going to have um, release trains or, or what have you and so we gather up and we do the roles and we do the ceremonies and we do the artifacts but one of the things I believe that is not nearly true enough in most organizations is that this these release trains, these these PI things, I know it's not the same, but it's like it's kind of in the same world for me. So I kind of blend together because I'm not really a safe guy at the end of the day. Um, but it requires encapsulation of the value stream. So at some point, like it all goes back to dependencies, right? So dependencies are going to kill agility all the time, every place in the organization. Yeah. So, so now you take something like that and you go, okay, if the principle is fundamentally encapsulation, the principle is that I have to have technology architecture that's aligned with my business architecture and I have to create encapsulated teams, encapsulated work groups, encapsulated business domains, encapsulated organizations, yeah. right? It's like the principle of encapsulation scales all the way up. The Can principle I, I wanted, of breaking dependencies scales all the way up. Sure. The, the principle of small batch sizes scales all the way up. Does that make sense? It does. I want to know when I can buy an argument. Buy, buy an argument. Throw it okay. in here. So yeah. I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. But I also think that a lot of people, in order to get to the place where you're at, have to go through that you know, shoo-ha or going through the motions or cargo call, whatever you want to call it, just flailing at it. Like they're not going to understand why encapsulation matters. They're not going to understand wh why they need a value stream. 
until, or while they need to understand the value stream until they do it badly. And they're like, like for me, when I learned about uh, pair programming, what I learned was you need a really big monitor so one guy can play Quake while the other guy reads a magazine. And it wasn't until I thought to ask the question, like, this is stupid. How's it supposed to work? That I learned that that's not how it works. Well, well, okay, cool. So, okay, so we take it to the ridiculous extreme and... It's, it's hard to argue from that point. It's, it's, it's like, well, but let me go to like what you said at first. It, if, if our metaphor in software engineering yeah. is that we're going to take the practices of Scrum and we're just going to try them and we know we're going to fail because we don't know what we're doing yeah. and then we're going to learn. Like how long, if it were my money, I wouldn't want to pay people <laughs> To fail and to learn, like on that level, right? What you just said is the key. It's not what we're doing; it's why we're doing. They don't know why. I think that is the core problem. Well, well, that's that's what I'm saying, right? So the why is the principles up underneath it. Okay, you know, and so well, well, so yeah. So you look at like agile, and you say, like, why would I ever go through the pain of doing an agile? Like, what? Right. I, the I ask that in every class. Are you sure you want to do this? That you would do that is because you're struggling putting things into market fast enough. Yeah. You're struggling to get feedback from customers. You're 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 delivering in large batches, so you um, you know by the time you put something in market, it's not what people want. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's a predictability thing. Maybe it's a quality thing. Uh, maybe it's an innovation thing. Right. There's lots of business reasons. So if you okay. go up on our website, and I've had this probably on the website for like eight years, I probably need to update it. Um, but it's still true. And it's like, I have predictability, quality, early return investment, cost savings, innovation, product fit. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's like, and, and this is where we've gotten, right? It's like the success of agile in a lot of circles is based on how well you're doing the practices of agile. I can't tell you, Dave, how many people call us up and they say, hey, we're really doing Agile really well, but yeah. it's not working. Yeah. And I'm like, well, if you're doing it really well, why is it not working? Yeah. Because, because it's not about the practices. It's about what the practices enable you what they provide. to do. Like, yeah. I'm serious. This is rampant. I, I had three calls, three, four in the last week and a half where I get this call that says, we have this consultancy in here and it's, and we really liked them. Like they were really good people and we learned a lot, but it just wasn't working. So we think we need to go a different direction. I have one that I was on the phone yesterday. It was funny. I actually talked to them six months ago and, and then they said, yeah, we decided to go with a vendor that we already had on site. We didn't want to do all the onboarding paperwork. And six months later, I get a call back and says, yeah, we just let them go. It wasn't really working. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's so, but you ask yourself why? Like I was literally, I was literally talking to them and they had taken, they had taken like the easiest part of their organization. They had taken something that the conditions should have been perfect. Yeah. And the way that they're describing to me is like literally like a single team of seven people. And, and this organization was in there and they couldn't make it work. And I was like, that's like the simplest use case for so, Scrum. You right, should be able to go to Dave's product class or product owner Scrum Master right. class and come back and be able to nail that. So I want to ask you a question. Now. Okay. And this might shift things a little bit. Yeah. I, you know, I've started doing coaching again a little bit. 
and it's been a while. Yeah. And one of the things that I am Our accounts really appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it's, it's been <laughs> great, but I am stunned by how much further away the understanding of what this stuff is and the practice of it is than it was when I was doing coaching. <clears throat> and I'm wondering well, if this ties back to your practices thing or principles thing because well, what I think, they've what lost I think the thread. They don't know why they're doing you it. Think, well, well, so for sure, as an industry, we've absolutely lost the thread. That's a great way of saying it. We've lost the thread of the story because, you know, I have this quote that I say from some time I spent with Alistair about 15 years ago, Coburn, and he's like, he's like something like we have to, it seems like every 20 years we have to relearn everything. Yeah. Like, and it's because like we, we, the institutional knowledge is like people retire, people move on, they do something else, new people come up and and, and again, it's like a blessing and a curse because there's so many people that know about Agile. There's so many people who want to do it. I would suggest <clears throat> when you got in this game 10, 12 years ago, at least as a CST, um, has it been that long or is it? Longer. 10, yeah, a little longer. Okay, old. Well, yeah, you're getting old, man. So I was trying to think like back in the days, Jesse Fuel and yeah. and, and Jim Cundiff. Jesse and, turned 50 uh, this year. That's crazy, man. Yeah, Jesse's yeah, almost old as old as I am. So, um, so the so – the, um, so the the I probably 10, 12 years ago, you had people that were a little closer to the source, mm-hmm. right? They were maybe even the early adopters people. Yeah. And and so maybe it was a little bit more pure to the story. Now we fast yeah. forward 12 years and you have companies that have been struggling with it for a while. They still believe in it as an idea. Maybe they're late to the party. And they go, oh, Agile, let me go to training. Let me learn the practices. And then they apply them. But they weren't reading the books that were out 20 years ago. They they weren't. I, I keep going back to this. Right? I think in my Mike interview drinking game, science. when you talk about the books, it's going to have to be a point where people drink. Well, sure. But it's, it's <laughs> fine, right? It's fine. So, but it's like, but it's like if we're, it, it, it's like, it's, it's fascinating to me in a way. Like, like one of the things that was like, so, so I think what's interesting, and this is what I, I, I hate it for the agile community, but I think this is where it's going to go. Like, um, so I was talking with, we have a, we have a small emerging studio within leading agile because we have to do some product extraction and decoupling of legacy monoliths sometimes. And, you know, sometimes we're helping with tech practices and things like that. So we have a studio of about 20, 25 people. And, and I was talking with one of the leads on that team and he was talking about the idea of domain driven design. And, and I was listening to him talk and I went, Oh, what they're really talking about is organizing around the business and decoupling the technical architecture so that we can have more modular organizations. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Right. And, and so I have this question out to Dennis, who's our chief methodologist and um, James Hester, who was the guy I was talking with, and I'm like, okay, I want a forcing function. If I said to you, I want the business architecture and the domain-driven design to overlap, and I did product extraction around those boundaries and created those with tests, wrapped them in tests, mm-hmm. could I like – is that something I could form like an agile team around? And that's a conversation we're having, and the answer is yes, Right. And so, and so what I think is happening is that Agile is getting reduced to Scrum. It's getting marginalized by Scrum because all the practitioners are coming in going, oh, you do daily stand-ups and user stories. I, I want to – Yeah. 
sort of yes end it. It's not yeah. what they're centering around isn't even Scrum. It's like this misunderstanding Reader's <clears throat> Digest version of Scrum. Well, well for sure. For sure. I, I think I was joking. I, I, I'm going to lose who wrote the book. I had it, it was sitting on a table at a client. And it's like the Scrum guy's like 20 pages. And it was, oh, I think it was like a Roman Pickler maybe. No, he's um, – Pichler. Pichler. Sorry, my bad. Um, I think it might have been him. But he but he's typically does, I think, products. I can't remember, but it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, he's product. Um, it was like basically like the Essential Scrum. And it was like 400 pages. Oh, but Essential Scrum 20, is Kenny Rubin's book. Oh, Kenny Rubin. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, cool. Sorry, Kenny. Um, and so it was like – it was like – the Scrum Guide's 20 pages, but the Essential Scrum is 400. <laughs> and you laugh. Um, but, but, but there's even like so, – so like if you're an expert in this field, right, you know what you're doing. Um, like the, the – what you're really dealing with, it's like, it's like you're starting to see these words starting to emerge. Like we're getting a lot of calls for people or we're either adjacent to in an organization, like a digital transformation. Mm-hmm. And you look and say, like, well, what's digital, right? Um, like, there's an we article, it's everything, right? It's a big catch-all industry yeah. term from Gartner or something like that. So it's a catch-all for everything. But I'm trying to sort through, like, what digital is, how we fit. Because I think a lot of what we're doing really is digital transformation. And then there's this standard, I think, that came out of the Air Force that they're sending out to um, government contractors where this idea of agile, open, digital, and and what we're what we're going for in that is um, open architectures that are defined with digital interfaces that can be delivered in an agile way. And you, you start to think about like what Elon Musk is doing at te- Tesla and SpaceX. He's basically creating an agile open digital platform for building cars um, the Air Force is specifying op- agile open digital architectures for rockets. And, and what the, the industry is starting to do is it's basically taking physical legacy monoliths and it's turning them into um, componentized systems that can be incremented and iterated in an agile way. So when you say I just want to check one thing. When you say yeah. open, I'm thinking like open source open. Well, no, so like like open is I like so so like what what I think about is like um <clears throat> trying to think something that like a, a good metaphor. Um oh this is probably gonna be too simple, but like think of like a spark plug. You can go get a spark plug any place. You can get a fuse sure. any place. It's kind of like an open architecture. It's like anybody can build it, it has a certain connector, it has a certain sure. interface, it and so you just plug it out and you put another one in. Right. So if you design software right in the sense that you have componentized infrastructures, think like domain driven design mm-hmm. that is aligned with your business architecture, mm-hmm. that that interfaces with the rest of the software through standard APIs, mm-hmm. then then you can take that and you can move it to the cloud or you can take it offshore or you could outsource it to a domestic team. You could replace all the people in the team inside it. And as long as the performance characteristics of that system work, it doesn't matter where you source it from, right? Okay. That's what open means. And so, well, that's kind of what I'm getting at. So like the patterns that are starting to emerge, there's another thing that um, I want to say it was a Gardner article that came across my desk today that was talking about, um, oh, I'm going to lose the word. Um, oh, I know what it is. Um, it was uh, composable composable businesses, right? So you think about a business that is a set of services. 
Okay. And so like I think about like leading agile when we first started, we were small and we had a marketing team. Uh, we had a marketing agency and then we built a marketing team. So think about like if I decided I wanted to grow my marketing team, right? There's inputs, there's outputs. Mm -hmm. You know, I put in a content brief, I get a bunch of marketing stuff out of it. I put in, um, uh, you know, requests for uh, a PowerPoint. I get a PowerPoint back in two days, right? So I have like, I have like a, a marketing service, has a defined interface, it's fine set of protocols. I don't care how it works inside. All I care is that I get what I want out with the right service level. Sure. That's what Scrum is, right? Scrum is like, it's like a composable object, an open object within a company that has a defined interface, that's the product owner, has a defined output, which is working test the software every two weeks, yeah. has a performance characteristic of stable velocity. Sure. And the reason why the team gets to be empowered is because as long as they have predictable inputs via the product mm -hmm. owner and they have predictable outputs via working test the software, stable velocity, right performance characteristics, then I don't get to tell the team how they work. <clears throat> okay. If the team violates that principle, that's what I would coach teams when I was doing more coaching on the yeah, ground. Yeah. I'd, be like, I'd be like, look, if you if you meet the service specification for this team, then you get to decide how to do it. I don't care whether you do story points. I don't care whether you do tasking. I don't care whether you do burn up charts, burn down charts, like whatever. I don't care if you swarm. I don't care if you do continuous delivery within the sprint. The only mm -hmm. thing I care about is I put user stories in. I get working test software out. Excuse me. You violate that contract. You violate that contract with the organization. Then that's when you get project managed, right? So why are all the people bastardizing Scrum and not doing Scrum right? Is because they don't understand the principles of like Agile Open Digital, right? Okay. They don't understand um, the concepts of domain-driven design or domain-driven architecture and business architecture, well, the relationship and the teaming strategies that go into that. I, I want to. I think it's more than that. Um, Ooh, if it's more than that, it's a lot because that's a lot. What I just so, said. So, I agree with everything you're saying. But okay. the thing that I keep coming back to, I had a conversation <clears throat> with a guy two weeks ago. I'm doing kind of an assessment thing, and I said, "Do you do sprint reviews?" Mm -hmm. And he said, "Yes." Every day when the team members bring me their finished work and I give them new tasks, I review their sprint. Well, wait. So, <clears throat> yeah, in his okay. mind, this is Scrum. At his company, he is thriving as his scrum team. He is running it. It is his, but, but his let me belief. Ask you a question. So right, it's not is, just that he's not. He doesn't even understand the things you understand. Yeah. Well, no, I got it right. But that's yeah. but that's the problem, right? So we've reduced scrum to a set of practices. And what I would challenge you to think about is that you're basically saying, well, they don't really even understand the practices, right? So so well, let's say. But, but what I'm suggesting is that it's a little bit like if you understand the principles, the practices don't matter. If you don't understand the principles, the practices don't matter, right? The reason why, <laughs> yeah. you, the reason why you get command and control project managed scrum sure. is because you don't have an appropriately defined team yeah. with a common interface in and out sure. that can operate like a black box. Yeah, but you don't even know you need that. Well, well, sure, but but it's like, but but again, you, yeah, you don't know you need it, but that's but that's what I'm saying. The print, the principle is 
I need like, an encapsulated like team. Like two old men on a porch yelling oh, at the air well, right I'm now. I'm just like, well, so like, this is Dave. As much as I love you, man, it's just like this is why this dynamic is fun. You're bringing to me like the common industry understanding. You're like, you're like Chad GBT in my my uh, my answer. Chad you're DP. Like, well, you're like, well, you know, this is like Mike says, you know, principle or practices don't scale, principles and patterns yeah. scale. And I'm being the controversial. The response is, well, Mike, they don't even understand the principles and practices to begin with. <laughs> right. Like, well, so what's the answer to that? Is it you're like, why don't you eat fruit? They're like, I don't know what fruit is. Well, the answer, the answer, <laughs> this is, is fruit. Well, the answer is, well, no, there's there's a more subtle reason, but like the answer isn't more practices. The answer isn't right. more scaling. Like that's what, and so that again, that's what. So this is the interesting thing, right? So I've always understood safe a little bit as. And, and, and I have no idea if this conversation ever actually happened, but this is what I imagine the conversation being. Because Dean's sitting there looking <laughs> like out at BMC with the rally guys, um, Israel Gat or whatever. This is what I envision. They're sitting around going, oh, my God, all these teams have so many dependencies between them. Yeah. And Scrum's not going to work by itself. So, so okay, we can organize around the whole value stream. So we'll get all the teams together that are responsible for the entire value stream. And we'll put them in the big room at the beginning of this, we'll call it a program increment. Mm -hmm. And we'll get them to put all their stuff up on the board and we'll draw all the dependencies between it because we can't break any of them right now. And we'll just shoot ourselves. And we're just going to hope for the best. And we're going to see where we're at at the end of the big PI. Yeah. That's a, that's the conversation I envision having happened, right? And they're like huffing glue at the same and time. It, and it probably kind of worked for them during that time. It probably kind of worked. And so they said, okay, cool. This is actually really neat, right? And working for Rally Software and Rally's like, yeah, we can invent a scaled methodology and let's write a book and let's do all these things. And, yeah. and then Dean goes out in the marketplace and there's demand for it and people ask him zillions of questions. And he's yeah. a smart guy. And he answers the question. And he he's pulls a smart all the man. Stuff in and he pulls all the answers in and he attaches it to its framework. Yeah. But like, but like, but like the fundamental pattern of, of safe is, okay, I have dependencies between teams that I can't right. resolve. So let me scale up to the thing that will encapsulate the dependencies. So I have dependencies mm -hmm. between teams, but I still have dependencies between value streams in most cases, right? You get to a certain level of scale, you're going to have dependencies between your value streams. Mm -hmm. And so like the core principle is this open idea. It's like the domain driven design with the business architecture, lay those two things over, wrap it in tests, harden it. And then, and then it has an interface to the organization and you can do whatever you want on the inside. I don't care whether it's safe or scrum or less or whatever. It's inside. It's inside a set of boundaries. Okay. And, and then that kind of ties in the whole composable organization thing. Well, now I have this like capability that I can, merge into other product lines or whatever because it has a defined interface and defined outputs and it's reliable and predictable sure. and agile and digital and all this stuff, right? So that's how all this stuff's starting to merge together, but but it's all predicated. And I think that's why now granted it's a hardware spec. I think that's why the Air Force went to the Agile Open Digital thing. Because Agile wasn't enough. Because like Agile is kind of describing the process. It, it can sure. adapt, it can change, it can do all these things. But Agile isn't enough if it's not open, right? We're defining open as like componentized, uh, yeah. composable, encapsulated. It's what I've been calling encapsulated. It's open, right? Yeah. Digital, right? So again, like digital is a weird word, right? And sometimes it means we're taking like paper and manual stuff and writing code for it. Okay, cool. 
sometimes it's like we're taking code and adding different digital capabilities to it. I mean, it's again, it's all over the place. But I think in this case where they're talking about digital is you think about, you know, again, because it's a hardware thing, you think about the idea of like wrapping hardware in tests and and being able to do continuous integration on hardware mm -hmm. and be able to do version control on hardware. Yeah. If you ever listen to Joe Justice, like he's got some really yeah. great videos out there on how um, – on how Tesla builds cars. And that was like something that like really clicked for me. And I was like, I was like, oh, and I got it, right? I got Agile Open Digital. And I'm like, that's super neat. Um, and you should explain that thing about the version control with the hardware and the Teslas because cool. I heard yeah, that on I mean, the call the other day. And they should get Joe that. Justice Tesla, right? I'll point everybody at him. I mean, it's like, it's a really great video, but it's like, if you don't know what you're doing, you're not gonna know what to do with it, right? And so, and again, right, so this isn't, this is all through Joe and just a 30 minute video, but like the way I kind of understand it is you think about like the battery in a Tesla, right? It's a thing, right? It has hardware, has software, has a standard plug. It has certain inputs. It has certain outputs. It's a, it's an open architecture component. Sure. And, and again, the way he, the way he talks about it, and I'm probably totally messing it up. And so I hope he doesn't come and yell at me or anything, but he, he but it's like, I can iterate that battery as much as I want. I can change its chemistry. I can do whatever with it. I can change its internal functions, whatever. As long as the inputs and outputs are As long the as the inputs and outputs are similar. Yeah. Right? And and so theoretically, so if I'm if I'm the Air Force and I want a agile open digital missile, then I might want to have like the GPS sensor in the tip of that missile be a standard size have yeah. a standard set of connectors, a standard set of performance characteristics, and to where I could source it through Lockheed Martin, or I could source it through Northrop Grumman, or I could source it through Boeing, or, you know, I don't know, all the different defense contractors. Yeah. You get the idea, right? And so it's open in that sense. It meets a standard spec, and it has a standard performance characteristic, so I can source it any place I want to source it. Yeah. Okay. There's there's stuff like other examples of this in Scrum at scale. JJ Sutherland wrote about him in the in the field book. Well, for Sound, sure. Where they did well, it so for sure because and and I'm telling you, this is the basis of the loss methodology. So I always I always joke with Boss and Craig in their first book. They're like, and, and so using these words, they're like, yeah, all this stuff requires an open agile digital infrastructure. And I know you're dealing with legacy monoliths, so like, go fix that. Right? This is the problem that, okay, so this is kind of an interesting thing. It's like the difference between a traditionally built and manufactured car yeah. and how Tesla is built and manufactured. Now, you could say, well, yeah. Mike, that's electric. It's a different thing. For sure, 100%, right? But, but what Musk did and Tesla did is they didn't take the existing way that cars were thought about yeah. and, and, and redo that. Um, they basically change the game, right? It's like yeah. it's like going from a COBOL mainframe to microservices, right? That's sure. the metaphor. And now, and where we got in this interesting debate this morning is, is we've had, a, we have several clients in the automotive field and, and there's a lot of stuff in a traditionally made car that is modular. So I use like the spark plug example, tires, yeah. they're modular, right? Yeah. But they're, but they're not open in this sense of componentized. In the sure. way they're requiring, they're not they're not agile. So it's like the agile, the open, and the digital all has to come together, mm -hmm. right? So so as as the the battery in a Tesla, as the motor in a Tesla, as the computer in a Tesla, as the software in a Tesla is being iterated, 
it's continuously tested. It's continuously integrated. Sure. And, the, and the, what he talks about is like, just like software, like any given model year, any given Tesla might have a different rev of the battery. It might have a different rev of, of the motor. It might have mm -hmm. a different rev of the software. It might have a different rev of whatever. And this is what I thought was interesting. It's like when you bring your Tesla into the shop, they don't just go, oh, that's 2019 Tesla. Let me go grab the battery or let me go grab this. They have to like look at which software version, which hardware version, like, you know, and, and so they're diagnosing from that particular build right. of the motor. Right. So there's like, this is what I'm saying. Like, so wouldn't, you, wait, wouldn't that become really complicated from like a support and maintenance standpoint then? Well, because well, you have like a hundred versions. Well, but that's, but that's where I think the whole digital comes in. So you build infrastructure for that. Like it's okay. like version control and software. Yeah. Like the, the parallel, the metaphor is, is, is amazing. And so it's basically like, cause like most of the time when people say, I want to use agile for manufacturing or they say, I want to use agile for marketing. All they're really doing is taking the existing way it's done and they're wrapping it in scrum. It would be right. – the analog would be um, I have a waterfall organization and you, we see this all the time, right? And we're going we're gonna to sprint through the analysis. Mm -hmm. We're going to sprint through the design backlog. We're going to sprint through the build backlog. We're going to sprint through the test backlog. Yeah. And so I'm doing scrum. It's awesome. But I just can't seem to release anything. Yeah. Well, that's because you're just using Scrum on top of like your legacy monolithic old well, process right. system, but right? If you're talking about this Tesla approach, yeah. that's great yeah. if you're building a car that doesn't exist. But if you're a legacy bank well, with a hundred well, years of technical debt, well, for you're sure, screwed. Well, that's it. Well, well, that's exactly it, and that's the okay. reason why. And so, and so, you're right in the heart of the problem. We were talking about this a couple weeks ago. When you start to get into Michael Feather's work around legacy refactoring and, you know, moving from monoliths to microservices, like there's a whole thing in the cloud space right now that's super fascinating, right? So if you're going to take an application from, you know, <clears throat> let's say on-prem into the cloud and you take a legacy monolith, yeah, you could probably move that in the cloud. Um, and, and Dennis had a word for you. It's like it's cloud-enabled but it's not cloud native. Like, again, this is, this is kind of, this is not my wheelhouse, but it's like, sure. I could take this gigantic thing. You know what it is? What? It's when you get the new computer and you just drag all the crap from your old hard drive onto your new hard drive. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, it's a good way of thinking about it. Right. But, but this is, but this getting back to the point and the why I think chat GBT is wrong on this and it, but it reflects the industry's understanding. Yeah. It's, it's literally like the example that I was just saying. If you teach a waterfall organization scrum, what it's going to do is sprint through analysis, design, build, test, deploy. If you, if you teach a hardware organization to use scrum building hardware, it is going to do sprint planning around whatever work it was doing before. Sure. There's, and, and again, there's nothing emergent. There's nothing valuable. There's nothing shippable. There's nothing about fast feedback. There's nothing about predictability, reliability, quality, yeah. anything. It's just you're just doing Scrum. Yep. Okay. Scrum requires an open, modular, composable systems architecture. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if you're Elon Musk, you build that from scratch because you understand those principles and you understand the benefits even if the configuration management is more expensive, you know the okay. benefits of open agile digital is a thing. Yeah. Now, if you're a legacy manufacturer, this is what's hard, right? 
it, you have to you have to rethink how you've been building cars or rockets or submarines or whatever for right. 120 years. Um, but in software, the cool thing is, is we can make decisions. We can we can look at the business architecture. We can evaluate a domain driven design. We can hypothesize around which things we would get economic value from decomposing and making modular. And then we can take those things and we can extract them from the code base and we can wrap them in tests and put dedicated teams around them and start to measure their economics and measure their performance. And we can move them to the cloud or we can move them offshore or we can do whatever we want with them because it is now an open componentized solutions architecture. Okay. So there's something in that space, right? So um, when I talk to my tech teams, this is what I ask them all the time. I go, okay, cool. So I'm trying to take really complicated stuff that I'm just on the edge of my technical understanding. And I'm trying to get people to understand it so they can do it. So I ask them all the time. I go, am I wrong? And they go, no, you're not wrong, but it's just just messier in real life. And I go, okay, cool. I can handle messier in real life. Right. So there's not the same absolutes. Right. There's lots of shades mm-hmm. of gray. There's lots of in between. Right. But the principle that you hold on to yeah. is this idea of componentization. Again, the, the metaphor, if you're a software guy, is like I'm going to move it from legacy to microservices. Sure. That's a lot of work. Yeah. If you're if you're a legacy organization, meaning you're functionally siloed, project managed, waterfall, traditionally governed, there right. is a there is a refactoring of that. I asked Alistair, you know, 15 years ago one time, I said something about, I was conceptualizing this because I was in the financial services industry. I said, I said, really what we're really looking to do is we're really looking to take, it's like the metaphors, legacy monolith, I didn't have the word microservices at the time, but like legacy monolith, the microservices for an organization. And and his comment was like, well, I, I, I hate to think of people like software, but I think it's almost exactly what we're doing. We're thinking about the organization the same way that we're yeah. thinking about the refactoring of the technology stack. And then you have to think about the business processes and if there's hardware involved. And, and, you, and, and it's reasonable to say the benefits of open agile digital are not sufficient to make that investment. That is a reasonable thing to say. Yeah. But it's also, but it's unreasonable to say, I'm going to start doing Scrum and expecting benefits if I don't understand what Scrum is designed to run on top of. Right. Right. Scrum is like a, a, a leg of the stool, right? It's like Scrum is a operating model for a componentized open system. Right, yeah. that is digitally enabled. Like, I mean, again, there's an interesting parallel. It's like in that. they have the cereal and the milk, but they forgot the bowl. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So sure, but but it's like, but it's like, unless we can like get to a place where we can have this conversation, it is fair to say, yeah, yeah. I'm cool if you do Scrum. I don't care. Right. As long as you deliver everything on time, on cost, on budget. Yeah. But what the what the people that come out of your class are often believing is that they can take these practices put them on top of their legacy organization and right. get the behavior characteristics out. And so that's why I get to a point where it's like those practices in Scrum, whether you scale them to safe or not, yeah. at some point are going to break because you are going to be faced with an encapsulation orchestration problem. You're going to be faced sure. with agile in the absence of open or digital. Yeah. Right. 
there's like a story in that, right? And I actually, I'm actually digging what the Air Force came up with. I like this agile open digital thing, right? Because it, it, it separates the concerns. Agile only works in a world where it's open and digitally enabled. Yeah. If you're doing Scrum, if you're doing Agile on top, you're doing practices on top of something that is not open nor digital, Yeah. then all you're doing is you're iterating through a backlog of crap yeah. that, because I get bleeped out when I say the other word for crap, so my team's like trying to protect me. Do they bleep me, it so. out, really? Yeah, they, they actually bleep one out on me the other day. I said, no, you can leave, you can leave that one in, uh -oh. but there's probably another one. I'm so I, tempted now. Yeah, I know, right? Let's just see what Stefan's going to do. <laughs> you know, there we go. Oh, 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 okay, cool. Wow, I came in hot on that one, Dave. I called you Doug, Dave. All right. You know who you are. <laughs> okay, Stefan, so, you can bleep out me calling Dave. This is what you should do. You should go, like, when I call you Doug, it should be blah, 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 blah. Dave. <laughs> just so I want to add one thing to what you just yeah. said. Shoot. People come out of my class now, and I don't think they think they're going to be able to do it. They come out of my class going, yeah. this yeah. isn't going to work where I work. It's not going to. And they, But they know that now, and they yeah. didn't know that five years ago. So that's a positive that's, side. That's actually pretty cool. That's a move in the industry. Yeah. So I was talking to this one company yesterday, and it was the one that I said that it talked to us and called us back. And, and, it was like, and it was like, I was just telling them, I said, look, so you guys have created the perfect conditions for this team. And, and so I'm not sure what you guys are trying to prove because, and what was interesting, and they were actually super heads up, right? This lady that called us had worked with us at a previous client a few years back. So she kind of knew our, our model and the way we thought very, very knowledgeable about it. And she said, no, what we're trying to prove, we're trying to like create like a reference implementation so we can like capture the culture and the energy and the adaptation and everything. And they knew that they were creating wow. the perfect conditions. But Great. they but they also knew that if we get, did if the organization bought off on that, then they were going to have to do the untangling. <laughs> they were screwed. No, 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 no. You're not screwed, right? You can do it. But the problem is, is that a scrum master can't do it. Yeah. There's no amount of doubling right. down on the practices that is going to do it. So the way I've said I've been saying this for years is that transformation is top-down intent, bottom-up implementation. <clears throat> I'd say it's maybe there's probably something in the middle, right? So you have to have top-down intent. You have to slice the organization. We call those expeditions. And then you have to build them from the ground up with teams, yep. right? So top-down intent, localize what you're going to separate, separation of concerns, build it up, right? Because you have to build it from the team up because you have to have the openness. You have to have the digital. You have to yep. have the agile. And then as you start to scale into um, product or portfolio or investment tiers, that's really like modularization against the service bus. Like it's a really fascinating metaphor when you really start to think about it. Because yeah. if I have open teams that are operating in an agile way, then I plug them into like a service bus, like a, a product or a portfolio tier. Mm -hmm. And that is the composability. So like any feature that comes through, you break it down into user stories. There's like a composition there of the different pieces of the component architecture that flow up. Now again, right? So getting back to the early part of this conversation, if you can get if you can get um, you know full stack featured teams that can move anywhere in the software, yeah. then like totally ignore me, right? Do what you got to do, right? <laughs> but yeah. but most organizations at scale um, are componentized or yeah. should be componentized. They have to be they have to be composable. And and the idea that you're gonna have a full stack wander team wandering around, cool. 
But if you're going to do that, then you have to have sufficient test coverage, continuous integration, continuous deployment. You got to know if you've broken things. It relies on solid architecture. So you go back and you look at Agile, right? And you and everybody sticks on what is the values on the front page, mm-hmm. but click through to the principles about good architecture and software craftsmanship and all that different stuff. That was all the XP community speaking yeah. into those things, right? And so if you only – it's a little bit like reading Winston Royce's paper on Waterfall. You just take the picture on the front page and you forget the rest of the paper. You end up with some really bastardized Waterfall. Yeah. A Waterfall I don't think was intended to be as bad as it actually is, but they just read the first page. Well, it solved a different problem. Sure. So you so you take the you take the the first page of the manifesto without the stuff that's behind it, and you don't mm-hmm. understand how systems work, and you don't understand how decomposition of complex systems work, and you don't understand systems architecture, and you don't understand systems engineering, and you just think you're going to show up with a bunch of practices, and you are going to fail. Period. Hard stop. Um, yeah. And so and so so I stand by I, I stand by ChatGPT being wrong. <laughs> Right? I think the question should be, which one of these tweets will Mike find most volatile and go off on for a whole hour? Well, well so we'll try, right? So so we made the whole hour on the first tweet. I thought we might get the three it's or four of good. them. pretty good. Yeah, we got like so, a year, two so years worth of work out of one post. Yeah, so maybe yeah. this is what we do, right? So we'll just do, we'll have like 23 podcasts. We have like 23 there podcasts. There we go. Two yeah, years of work. Yep. Yeah. I think we cool. only actually, we actually only prioritize the top 10. So maybe, maybe this will get tired after five or 10 or something oh, like cool. that. Oh, cool. Do but the next one next time. We got like awesome. 23 of them to do. So what's the next? Oh, no, you had a question for me. So you yeah, like but you got to pick which one you wanted. I gave you three options. You, you pick. It's, it's host right. pick, man. Host pick. Um, you can have, you can, it, this is a work related question. Okay. You can have lunch with anybody in in the history of time. You can have lunch with anybody you want. Who is it? You know, it's really funny. When you first asked me, when you first telegraphed that question to me, I was like sitting in the agile space. Yeah. And um and I and, and the people that I would be interested in having lunch with, um, sometimes I do, right? So it's not okay. it's not like so I was like, and then, but when you asked me the second time, I went further out and you know who like my favorite thinker in the whole world is, and it, and it's work, but it's not agile is Stephen Covey. Like I'm wow. a huge, I'm a okay. huge seven habits, of highly effective people guy. And, um, I went to like a virtual thing. Like they did these things 15 years ago where you'd like go to a conference room, pay a thousand dollars for a ticket, but he was on video. Mm-hmm. They just had like facilitators in the room. Yeah. And um, I would, and so I did something like that. Um, and, and I'm just huge, right? So you think about like begin with the end in mind, put first things first, be proactive, um, you know, think win-win, synergize, seek first to understand then to be understood. I mean, that has shaped leading Agile's model. It's yeah. shaped how I think as a consultant. Um, it, it shapes how I show up to my wife and kids. Um, like I'm telling you, if you're not, if you haven't read that seven habits, of highly effective people book 15 times at this point in your life, you are, you are doing yourself a disservice. Seriously. So if I could like, if I could just eat, I would, I would, I would love to have lunch and then be able to, um, I was going to say go on a bike ride, but that's how I actually passed away. He got hit by a car on his bike. Oh, dear. He's like 80 years old. Like well, maybe go on dead. a bike ride before then. Yeah, like maybe maybe when he's in his prime or something, yeah. or maybe we'd go on a safer road or something like yeah. that. But it is funny. My brain went through like I'd like to go on like a big ride. Well, that's you know, cool. Go on a hike or something. Yeah. 
but yeah, if I could, if I could spend an afternoon or even a lunch with Stephen Covey, that would, that would like be a dream cool. come true. Great answer. Yeah. Cool. All right. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you, you sir. Yep. Talk awesome. to you later. Cool, man. Yeah. See you guys. Bye-bye. Yeah. Peace out.